Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. For all the good deeds that people out there doing, you know, basketball players giving millions of dollars in charity to feed some people and to build up hospitals. Ain't nobody did nothing good, not really. Not good enough for heaven. I mean, people did some good things that make them feel good, but God said, no, no one's done anything good enough for heaven. You can't give enough money. You can't buy enough hospitals. You can't feed enough hungry people. Think about when you weren't saved, the stuff that you did. I did some good things when I wasn't saved. That they seem good to me. God, but that's not good enough for heaven. Some passages in the Bible are really difficult to accept. It might not be a difficult passage to understand intellectually, but it can be hard to let the message sink into your heart. When you hear the truth that there is none righteous and there is none who does good, it's easy to feel offended. It's natural to want your good deeds to count for something. Today, Pastor Bill reminds us of the sobering truth that apart from Jesus, our good deeds are not really good. Good deeds can never take the place of the cross. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 3 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Someone standing over here telling me I'm saved, but I don't desire anything good, and I'm not convicted about anything bad. As a matter of fact, I want to do more bad so God can be glorified. I'm going to say that the Holy it sounds like you're absent of the Holy Spirit, which would mean that you're not saved. I have a hard time believing someone genuinely born again right here, no conviction of sin and no desire to live for God. Because when God moves in, that's exactly what he does. But this is the cool thing, right? For the believer that's repented of sin and walking in newness over here, he can't boast either because you didn't do it on your own, right? Who's doing it through you? Holy Spirit is working in you. Even in my flesh, I would recognize if my flesh don't want to do certain things, the Holy Spirit gives new desires and new aspirations and stirs your heart up. And then you go out and do it and you get blessed for doing it. And you look back and just think, man, that's God just working through us, you know, moving in our lives. And so you can't really take credit, be boastful, arrogant or proud. But if there's none of these things happening, no conviction against sin and no movement toward new things, I don't see that experience. The biblical salvation experience, there is transformation, right? Old things pass away and what happens? All things become new. So if you're still looking brand old, something didn't happen. You know, something, it just, I don't see anything brand new. And, um, you know, my sister and I grew up very close. We were like this. And I remember when I got saved, it was like, man, I, I miss my, I, that was the first person I went to share the gospel with. And I went, I met her at my dad's house and sat down with her and shared with her. And she heard me out, but she wasn't there yet. And then I took her to my messed up church I was going to, and it turned her all the way off. One of the ministers, she was like, I'll be seeing him at the club. And she was not lying. He was at the club. We found out later, cheating on his wife. Another minister who was engaged to the pastor's niece hit her up for her phone number. And she was like, oh, maybe I'll talk to him. And then, you know, it's, it's one of you. I'm like, he talked to you? I had to go like almost beat up a dude at church for like taking my sister number. You know, that's how messed up the church I came out when I first got saved. But she was like, yeah, I'm cool. I just this church thing is, you know, it just was a bad witness. And then she was in college and I'm talking to her and she had a professor that just had her spun out on stuff. And, and it was just hard. And she wasn't, you know, just wasn't happening. And a couple times, I think to make me happy. She was like, OK, I, she went forward at something. I'm, I'm, and she prayed and, and I was like, OK. But I start, you know, you look afterwards and I'm like, no, I didn't take. 
today it didn't happen yet. You know, I was like, mm, didn't happen yet. You know, I just knew it. But when it did happen, it was so awesome for me because when my sister did get saved, a few things that were immediately like I just knew I know her very well. So does she knows me, too. We probably know each other better than anybody else in our fallen natures. And I saw things that I'm like, ooh, that's brand new. That's not her. Like she would not have let that ride, you know, just a little bit ago, but she let that go. And I started seeing things that were evidence. There were, then there was a hunger for the word and the desire to know the word better. And there was a, a seeking after this. And I heard that teacher, but I'm not sure if that part was right. And there was a discernment. And there was all these things that said, I know the Holy Spirit's living. There. And it was such a relief to me to say, like, now she's going to grow like everybody else. But I know God's living there. Because there was a conviction, there was a group she met that they were false teachers, and she was like, it just didn't seem right, and, and what do you know about this? She called, I'm like, oh, that's a cult. She's like, so I'm like, that's the Holy Spirit that made you feel how you felt, so you didn't want to continue to go. Oh, she's saved now. And, and just continue to go on and on from there. But I'm saying, there's a difference. You know, you can see when it's like, no, nothing's changed. There ain't no discernment, no conviction, no leading, no good stuff, no bad stuff. No, just, you just look brand old. When we get born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside and there should be a gradual transformation. We're not going to be perfect all at once, but there should be a gradual transformation that happens when he moves in. Amen. And we should look for that and expect that as well. So moving on again, the answer in verse six was certainly not for then. How will God judge the world? If God is, you know, obviously God is not unjust in his judgment because God will judge the world one day. Verse seven, for if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And the, the section here, he just says, look, you know, well, what if through my lie for God's glory, you know, he's glorified, you know, then is it OK? No, you know, and there are people that do that. There's there are people that tell a testimony and a testimony is a lie and it actually brings God glory. But it's a lie. Why are they still judge the sinner? Because they lie. And we're going to come to that in a little bit of the law. There's a song that we sing. And I don't know if some of us know the, the history behind it. Uh, and it's a beautiful song. It's, it's called Healer. Anybody know that song? It's a, I believe you're my healer. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it. But yeah, it's a, the song is written as just declaring that God is my healer. I believe that he's enough for me. And I mean, it just really, really points to Jesus. Now, the individual that wrote it, he gave a false testimony about uh, an illness that he said he had that he didn't really have. And he wrote this song and he would give this really emotional, you know, kind of testimonial and do this song. And it was one of those things that people would just be singing it and crying it. Now, the song is still an amazing song. The words of the song are absolutely true. And God has been glorified through that song. But over here, that guy that told them lies, is he okay now? Is God like, man, I'm cool with that lie because look how much glory I'm getting for it. No, he's not. He still needed to repent. And he did. He did eventually come clean and he repented and even divulged that he had some other issues and challenges and whatever that caused him to that led him down that path. And he renounced his lie. He, you know, he came clean with all that he did. And so I was asked by some worship leaders like, well, then should we sing that song? I'm like, yeah, the song's still true. I saw I still sing. It. I mean, it's still he is my healer. He is enough for me. All the things that it says are true. But the dude that wrote it when he did that. Yeah, he needed to repent for that. So the idea is this. 
What if I do something bad, but it brings a good outcome? Am I clear? Am I good then? What if I sell crack, but give the money to church? Am I clear? Absolutely not. <laughs> so we'd just be broke, church. You know, don't nobody go sell crack to help us get our building. We don't want it that bad, you know. Uh, but we don't sin that good would come, right? We, we live right. We trust the Lord and let the good come when it will. So verse 9, uh, again, our, he said, what then? Are we better than they? No, not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks all are understanding. So now we're kind of getting to this equality because he's been really hammering the Jews. He said, look, I'm really trying to bring you guys low where you guys realize that we're all under sin. Everybody's sin. For some of us, this is not a big thing. We're like, I know this. I know we're sinners. No big deal. No problem. But you'd be amazed as you go out into this world and witness to people at the number of people that believe that they should go to heaven. No transformed life, no savior, no salvation. They believe based on their own merit that I'm not that bad. I should go to heaven. I'm going to say this. I know some non-believers that are better people than some Christians I know. And I understand the frustration of them saying, like, I, I think I should go to heaven. Not understanding that I know that Christian is really messed up, but he does have a savior. <laughs> I mean, he's not getting in on his good merit. He's getting in on Jesus standing for him, you know, but it's confusing. But again, I know some people that they're not saved and they're I mean, they're very good people. I really can't find a whole lot wrong with how they're living. They don't drink. They don't smoke. They don't cuss. They're nice. They're benevolent and all these different things. They just don't know Jesus. And if you could be good enough to go to heaven, I know a few people that I think there might be that good, but you can't be good enough for heaven. Can't be good enough for heaven. There's nothing you could do to be so good that God would say, you know what? You don't need me. I mean, I'm just, I've watched your life. It is so tight that you don't need me. And so one of the things, and we come to it later in the chapter, that God, what does God use to show us our sinfulness? What's his tool to show us that we're not that good? The law, right? And he gave the law. And some people, you know, you, I'll meet people today to say, you know, I just keep the Ten Commandments. Do you know anybody ever tell you that? Tell them you lied right now. You ain't never kept all 10 of the Ten Commandments. I mean, because if you keep the law, you know, you got to keep it perfectly forever. You can't ever once have ever messed up. Not one time. One mistake and, and you're guilty of the whole thing. So anybody says, I've just kept the law my whole life. You've never told a lie ever. You're lying right now. You know, you never lie. You've never, you know, honor your mother and father. You had never disrespected your mother or father. Uh, never your whole life. I mean, you, you just start walking through the law and people's they just start dropping like flies. You, you ever murder? I've never murdered anybody. That's what everybody says. Jesus in clarifying the law says, well, if you ever hated someone without cause, you murdered them. You ever hated somebody? Mm, you murdered them in your heart. Done. I've never committed adultery. Have you ever lusted after someone, man or woman that you weren't married to? Mm, you committed adultery in your heart. <laughs> it's just leaving everybody guilty at every place. You know, have you ever taken God's name in vain? Mm. That's that's called that's blasphemy. You're guilty. And it's just walk through the law and you'll just be like, OK, OK, I need I need a savior. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to make it. I need help. And that's where God wants us to come, where we come in and just say, God, I know I'm guilty. I need you. And so in these last 11 through 18, 10 through 18, I'm sorry. I think he hits it from head to toe that we are to pray. We are empty. And then we come within the plane kind of goes upward. So so just hang in there a little bit. But I'll 10 through 18 going to hurt your feelings. In a good way. So verse 10, and this is quotations. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And he's speaking of righteousness in and of yourself. So when he says there is none, 
righteous. That should be enough, but he makes it an emphatic statement and says, no, not one. There ain't nobody that's righteous in and of their own self. No, not even one person. Nobody, ever. There's none righteous, no, not one. Then he says in verse 11, there is none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. Nobody all by themselves has right understanding and nobody all by themselves seeks after God. So I know people that aren't saved. They think they understand a lot. God said, you, without me, you don't understand nothing. You don't know nothing. Anybody here got teenagers? And anybody, when, I mean, I know when I was a teenager, I, I really thought that I was a different teenager. I know most teenagers were stupid. But I really thought when I was a teenager, I had it figured out. I had it all laid out. I knew, I knew how to do what I was going to do. I just had to grow up and look backwards and say, no, nah, I was dumb. Like, I was just, I was maybe worse than everybody that I knew, you know, just, but I thought at that frame of time that I had it figured out, God said, no, I understand. Nobody, without me, you don't understand anything the way you need to. There's none who seeks after God. And so there are people that seem pretty religious and God said, but nobody really seeking me. I'm seeking after you guys. That's how come when we share our testimonies, I tell them, don't ever say that, you know, you found the Lord like he was lost out there. Like I was looking for you and I found him under this tree and I was there, it's been good ever since. Who was lost? You was lost. I was lost. He found us. He sought us and he found us. And so he says, there were none that seeks after God. Verse 12, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. He said, man, everybody has turned aside to some other things. They have all together become unprofitable. And there is none who does good. No, not one. And for all the good deeds that people out there doing, you know, basketball players giving millions of dollars to charity to feed some people and to build up hospitals. Guys, no, ain't nobody did nothing good. Not really. Not good enough for heaven. I mean, people did some good things that make them feel good. But God said, no, no one's done anything good enough for heaven. You can't give enough money. You can't buy enough hospitals. You can't feed enough hungry people. Think about when you weren't saved, the stuff that you did. I did some good things when I wasn't saved. That they seemed good to me. God, but that's not good enough for heaven. You know, it, it seemed like a good thing to me when I was not saved, when I went to the liquor store and I saw the guy out front that couldn't afford his drink and I had money. I said, man, I'm going to hook this dude up. What you want to drink today, man? And I felt good about that. You know, in my fallen nature, I felt like I'm hooking this dude up. You know, when I was selling weed, I had people that they did. I knew they was broke and they was trying to, you know, pawn stuff at the pawn shop. And I'm, I'd give them 20 sacks. I felt good about that. I'm, I'm, I'm furthering his drug addiction. But at that time in my lost state, I felt like I'm really doing a good thing. I'm, I mean, I'm a benevolent guy. I'm a pretty good dude, you know. And that's the thing. When we're lost. We feel good about things that ain't good. They're not good. But I felt good about it back then. If you'd ask me then, I'm like, I'm a pretty good dude, you know. But I wasn't, you know. There's none good. Nobody, you ain't done enough good. There's none who does good at all. And then I'm going to tell you the underlying words. As we go from 13 to 18, I'm going to just say, First 13, underline the word throat and tongue. It says their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. And I'm going to show you that he almost takes us from, not quite head, he takes us from eyes to, to toe and show us that man, everything is messed up. He says your, the, their throat is an open tomb. So a tomb is where something dead lives. So their throat, so you go down their throat, there's a tomb. Right. The Bible says that from the abundance of the what the mouth speaks, the heart. So he's taking them into your your heart. Your heart is a tomb. You are spiritually dead. And I want you to notice the first four things he speaks about the depraved person all have to do with things that come out of their mouth. 
And that should really challenge us about how we use this instrument. Because the Bible is saying, look, the stuff that's coming out of here, four things, the throat, the tongue, the lips and the mouth. All of this, he's saying this is four things that show our depravity. So their throat is an open tomb. They open their throat up and take you to death, take you to the grave. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. They liars. With their tongues, they lie. And there's lots of different ways we tell lies. Sometimes we lie outright. Sometimes we lie by exaggeration. Sometimes we lie by withholding facets of the truth. But with their tongue, they practice deceit. If you use your tongue to deceive people, to thinking better about you than they should, worse about somebody else than they should, in either case, it's deception. They use their tongues to practice deceit. So it's not something they do here and there. When you practice something, you get good at it. And it says they practice this with their tongues. The next one in verse 13, so you circle, you circle underlined throat, tongues. The next one at the end of verse 13, underlined lips, says the poison of asp is under their lips. The asp is a small, venomous serpent. It's a very venomous little serpent. The poison of this serpent is under their lips. And so that means these people coming out of their lips is poison. Things that are, you know, something that poisons, something that brings death. Anybody here that slanders and gossips and talk bad about people, that's, you need to be careful about that. That that's coming out of your mouth, that people are just murdering people with your words behind their back. Just tearing them down. The poison of asp is under their lips. All this, speaking of the depraved individual, the last one in verse 14, um, well, not the last one, last one as far as the, the things we say, says whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So you got to lie mouth. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now, regardless, I don't know what our everybody here take is as believers. Should we be cussing? I think we should all know better. You know, um, if Jesus Christ strolled up in this room, I don't think anybody here would be talking to him with cuss words. I don't think so. And so because his Holy Spirit lives in me and because he's ever present, I just don't believe as a believer I'm supposed to continue to cuss. Like it, it, that's to me a part of my old nature. The old man, the old man had a foul mouth. Because he had a foul heart. But the new man is being renewed day by day. I, I think it should be different. So, but this individual that's depraved, their mouth is full of cussing and bitterness. That's what's coming out. Foul mouth and bitter. If that describes you, right? If these things you say, that is me. Man, I got a foul mouth. I'll be tearing people up with my words. I got the poison of ass under my lips. My throat is like a tomb. I mean, I'm murdering people left and right. This is stuff you want to repent of. This is says that you're in a bad place because it's just taking us right to the, the core of who we are. And you need God to touch you. You need his forgiveness. These are things you need to repent of and you need to ask him to help you. God, help me. Help me cut this out. I recognize today this is not OK. This is not what you want. These are things that you're using to describe somebody that don't know you. So if I'm saying I know you and this is me, I need I need help, Lord. I need to repent. This cannot continue to be. All right. Verse 15. So we've come off of the mouth. So, you know, we got throat, tongues, lip, mouth, and then we got feet. In verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. So they in a rush to go do some naughtiness. They feet are in a rush to go do some mess. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. Destruction and misery are in their ways and their way of life, their way of being, their way of doing and the way of peace they have not known. So some people, because they live like this, they got destruction is a way of life. Misery is a way of life. But you know what they don't know? The way of peace. They don't know the way of peace. That's sad because one of the things that Jesus comes to bring us is peace. He's the prince of peace. 
and you walk with him and there can be peace. They can, one of the blessings of walking with the Lord is you can have peace when there's not peace around you. Right. His peace is not determined by circumstance. It's not circumstantial peace. You ain't got to be on the beach in Hawaii with a with an umbrella and some waves in front of you. The peace of God. Can, you can have the peace of God in the storm. And but these people don't know the way of peace because they don't really know the prince of peace. They haven't let him have his way. But he wants us. You know, he wants that for us. He wants us to be at peace. God wants for his kids to be able to be at peace. He know, we live in a messed up world with messed up things. But one of the benefits of walking closely with him is his peace. The peace of God that passes understanding. It don't make sense. How are you so at peace in the midst of all this? I don't know. God just taking me through it. I'm okay. Peace of God. He wants that for us, but we got to walk with him. And if we walk in rebellion and all this other stuff, we'll have everything that he just described here. Destruction and misery. Who want that? Nobody would sign up and says, I would like destruction and misery this week. Nobody want that. But it's just the way we walk can bring that upon us. Instead of walking with the Lord and enjoying his peace. And then the last one is our eyes. Verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And this is really the summation. How does a person life get this bad where their mouth is all messed up? Their feet are swift to do wrong things. They got no peace and destruction and misery and all this mess because they don't fear God. That right there, you guys, that's the beginning of everything right. Coming to a place where there's a fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Does God want you walking around horrified about him where there's a fright or a terror? I don't think that's what it is. I believe it's a combination. Is God to be feared, right? There's a place where, yes, in the same way that a child that is growing up in a home under proper discipline would fear rebellion because I would get disciplined. There's a fear. I'm not, I know that it's not just, I'm not getting smacked for nothing. I'm not getting, you know, spanked for nothing. But there is in me a recognition, understanding that if I do these things, you know, dad or mom would be disciplined. There's a fear of them in that way. That's proper. That's reverence. That keeps me obedient, keeps me in line. But it's also in addition to just a fear, recognizing that God will spank, God will discipline. I'm not I don't believe I'm not one that believes that God is not to be feared in that way. But that's not the only thing. I don't think that we obey God because he's going to get me. You know, he's he going to get me if I don't. That we, we walk around glitching, you know, worried about what God's going to do. I don't think that's it. There's also an aspect of reverence. God, I, I recognize that. I mean, you're God. Right. There are human beings that you would reverence. If they stepped in your presence, you would you would give honor because of their position, their, their role, their place or whatever. And God says, man, I, I should be feared because you don't fear me because you live before me. And all the things that you do, you do them in my face. Right. I never do anything that's not in God's face. So when I live in rebellion and sin in his face, God says, you don't fear me. You do that right in my face. You have no fear. Right. If you see a kid cussing right in front of their mother and they're not hiding it, they're not lowering their voice, they stomping and saying it. You know that they don't fear mama. They ain't got no fear or concern for anything happening right now. No fear. And that's how some of us are, how we can live in rebellion before the Lord. We just don't fear the Lord. We're not aware of his presence in the way that we need to be. So there's no fear or reverence for the Lord. That's what happens to these people. That's their, this kind of lays out their depravity and, and why so badly we need a savior. We need saving. I need God's help. So verse 19 now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So the whole purpose and goal of the law is that it would cause us to be guilty before God, that we would know 
as I look at the law, that, man, I'm not right. I got sin. You know, they say, you know, how do you know your line is crooked unless you put a straight line right next to it? You know, the straight line show me that my line is crooked. Do you ever start thinking about God's immense love for you and get lost in the amazement? He loved us enough to send his son to die in our place. But Paul, in his letter to the Romans, takes it even a step further when he says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't look at humanity and think we were doing such a great job on our own. He looked at us and saw that we were broken sinners, lost in rebellion, and he loved us anyway. If you haven't yet made the decision to follow him, know that he is looking at you and loving you. He loves you just the way you are today. If you like to learn what it means to follow him, you can call or text us at 310-245-4811. We love to walk you through the story of what God has done to offer you salvation. Once again, that phone number is 310-245-4811. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Romans in this series a book filled with wisdom and instructions for life. If you missed a message and want to go back, you can find all our messages on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's calvaryinglewood.org. Look under the media tab for links to YouTube and our mobile app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you again. Meet us right here next time for another great message on A Transforming Word.